so today on the podcast we have tony testa he's the head football coach at west virginia wesleyan college uh, we talk about a range of topics and he's a really really smart uh, coach and a great a great guy and i know you will love listening to this podcast all right so on the podcast this afternoon we have coach tony testa on the podcast coach welcome to the podcast really glad to be here man thanks for having me yeah, Coach, how long have we known each other? I think, what, going on four or five years, I think? I, I think when you came back up to West Virginia um, and uh, when you came up and you got the job at Riverside, I think we got connected with recruiting and a few other things going on mm. um, ever since then. That's right, man. That's good, yeah. I mean, my wife and I were talking, this is the longest we've been somewhere, my like state-wise in my coaching and teaching career. West Virginia is a beautiful mm-hmm. place, man. It's a, it's a wonderful spot. Yep. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Are you from West Virginia originally, Coach? I, you know, is this like where you're born and raised? Yeah, originally from Parkersburg. Um, okay. Born and raised there. Went to Parkersburg High. Um, actually went to college here at Wesley and played Hero 2 through 06. Um, and then I kind of like you, bounced around a little bit after that. I was in Marietta College for two years. Um, and then from there, I was at the Newport News Apprentice School for one moved back up to Ohio in Cleveland. Um, was kind of working two jobs at Baldwin Wallace um, for three, and then came back to Wesleyan as an assistant in 13, been back here ever since. Took over as a head man in 19. That's right, you you were the boss. You were the man in charge, my friend. Never, never. I mean, you've been a head coach too, you know that ain't the case. Always always got other people above you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Coach, talk about the apprentice school and how that works. I, I, I know Coach Skolaski, who's the office coordinator there now. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a unique situation. How does that, how does that it work is, like it is. football and going it, to school? Oh, and it's great for the, for the right kid. Um, I think a little bit of it's changed since I left. But basically, they're a trade school that's owned by the shipyard down there that builds aircraft carriers and nuclear stuffs. And they bring kids in and teach them a trade and educate them in that trade. And they get a chance to play football on top of that. Okay. So when uh, they're, I, they're not NCAA anymore, I can't remember the organization that they're with now, but when I was there, they were NCAA division three and we play in the same league as, uh, as Wesley college who just dropped football Salisbury um, and Frostburg, who's now in our league. Um, they, they jumped up to division two, but yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty neat opportunity. It's really cool for the right kid. It's just it ain't an easy life, and I I didn't really think about that and think it through whenever I whenever I went down there, but you don't realize until you actually get the guys out of practice that you know when they've been in the hull of a submarine in a shipyard down in Newport News welding for eight hours a day, um, it's you got to work really hard to make sure they got juice to to get after it on the football field in the afternoon. Oh man, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Yeah, we lost uh, we lost one of our starting linebackers one week. He got flash burned while he was welding. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one on the injury report. But oh, no doubt, because she was. But you know, I look I look back at it, and you, you keep in touch with the guys that, that played for you and everything. And a lot of those guys had a, a lot of success all over since mm-hmm. then, um, mm-hmm. both in those trades. And I know one of them was coaching high school ball down there. Um, one of them who's actually the younger brother of a guy that I played with at Wesleyan, who's now strength coach. Um, mm-hmm. He's, he's doing podcasting now and like fantasy football stuff and everything. It's, it's pretty neat. But. 
Oh, cool. I feel like everybody has a podcast now, though. Like I listen to people like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this podcast, yeah. you're like, oh, man. Um, I mean, like Anchor's made it a lot pretty easy to do it. Like it's free, mm -hmm. they host it, uh, all that kind of stuff. But I feel like this was like unique, even like a couple of years ago. Now it's like everybody's got one. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think it's a, it, to me, it's a better, more connected way to to learn and get information and entertainment than like radio was when we were kids and everything like that so mm -hmm. you know i like it it makes it a lot easier you can you know you search for something that you're interested interested in hearing about mm -hmm. and get a chance to dive into a little bit oh no doubt so coach talk about becoming a head coach talk about your program i'll just let you go from there and just ask questions as they pop into my my skull over here yeah so um you know, being a head coach was never something that had really been on the forefront of what I was doing before I got a chance to come back here. Um, and the first coach that hired me back when I was here, George Shell, learned a ton from him. He's now the D coordinator at West Virginia State. Um, but when when he moved on, uh, I interviewed for the head job, and it actually came down to myself and the guy that got it who I played with here. Um, and then I was fortunate enough he kept me on for the three years that he was here as the head coach, he moved on. And, you know, when he moved on, I had the opportunity to take over, which, you know, by that point I had kind of, you know, I kind of learned how the sausage was made from an administrative level at the place. So it was a little bit easier for me to make those connections and, you know, know what are the, what are the best paths to take to help our guys out. And um, I sort of realized that, it was a really good opportunity for me as a head coach to put myself in a position where I can affect a bunch of guys' lives. And that's, that's what we try to do. You know, our, it, it was really to try to further a mission and ours at Wesleyan is we want to try to use football to help these guys be better off down the road. You know, we talk about family future football is the motto at our place, but everything that we do is to try to use the lessons that I think are really unique to the game of football to, help those guys be successful for the next 40 years to help them have a leg up against their competition when they get out of our school use a degree at a really good educational institution to be able to better provide for their families so we try to we try to do everything we can from a football perspective to teach them all that stuff and like i said i think football is really really unique in both the physical mental and emotional demands that it places on you just because of the nature of the game and the fact that I think it's really unique in comparison to a lot of other sports and activities and how much you actually have to have to work with other people to be successful. You know, it's not like something like basketball where if you've just got one dominant guy, he can take everything over and everybody else can try to work and be role players and everything like that. You have to have all 11 guys on the field working in concert with each other constantly to have a chance of success. So. And that I was talking to somebody the other day, like I think football is such a good tool because you practice far more than you play. And mm -hmm. that's a great life lesson, man. Like just mm -hmm. you have to put in that work to be able to have the success uh, that you want. You were talking about before we started recording, you start, we were talking about like the off season, talk about like a college off season. What does that look like? Cause you know, I think like high school and college, I think is very different in that, that aspect, especially at my level, like where, I, where I've coached here. Yeah. So we try to we try to break our yearly calendar up into four different segments, right? You've got your in-season segment, and then that kind of postseason segment, which is the next, 
you know, about eight weeks after you get out of there, you get the guys, you know, all your bumps and bruises and everything like that taken care of. But really through the winter for us leading up into spring ball is that time for our guys to be able to start changing their bodies. Um, we, we actually will go through and we'll split our install up and set it up so that we can hit it again during that period of time in college. In that off season, you're allowed eight hours a week with the guys for weight training, um, you know, conditioning and fitness, and you can get two hours a week with them uh, for skill development. That's whether it's video or skill workout on the field. We try to hit that again with them leading into spring practice. So that that winter section for us at January and February section is really, you know, more for let's start to teach these guys how to actually work as college football players because we don't get them at our world until August. So they're smack right in the middle of it right there. So help them be able to take the next steps leading into spring ball, which, you know, is normally another two, uh, about a month right in there. And they get to go through that whole install and everything like that again. And you get a chance to really slow down your teaching progressions and everything like that, that you went through in preseason camp and be able to hone in a little bit more on actually developing their skills and everything and not just making sure that you've got everything that you need from a schematic and technique standpoint in for a game, you know, in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Spring ball ends and you basically go through another, it'd be our preseason cycle. Um, that's pretty much the same as the winter in the same amount of time. The only difference is it's different at different colleges and bigger schools. Obviously you keep the guys there the whole summer, get a chance right. to go to summer school and all that sort of stuff. And the division two level, it's mixed based on where you go. Our guys don't stay at our place during the summer. Um, you know, one, because, you know, I, I want to make sure they get a chance to spend some time with their family because they're with us so much during the year. And two, you know, they're from, we recruit from all over, especially being private. Um, you know, everybody, we signed 10 kids this year out of Florida, another eight out of Georgia, you know, North Carolina, all up, all up and down the, the mid Atlantic and the, in the South. Wanted to get a chance to be able to go back there and and do what they need to, so we spent a lot more time virtually with them over the summer, and that leads itself back into camp, which at our level has a, had to adapt a lot, even just the last few years because you know we don't have two days anymore. Um, our, it seems like our camp's starting later and later and later, so you have to be way more efficient with how your teaching progressions go, so that you can put kids into into situations to be successful schematically, but also be safe from a technique standpoint. Um, you know, we talked about how the game's unique. I think one of the, you talk about having to practice more than you play, but you also have to have so much more attention to detail in your practice in football, because you know, unlike soccer and soccer, you're not playing against somebody else that, you know, has, has bad intentions towards you and is trying to, you know, make violent contact with your body. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, so you have to learn how to get in those positions safely so that you don't, you know, gravely injure yourself. So a lot of attention to detail when it comes to that sort of thing for our guys. Oh, no doubt. I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, in basketball, if they hit you at all, it's a foul. In football, that's mm-hmm. a good job. Run through them again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's a, like you, you said soccer or basketball or any other like air quotes contact sport. Football is a collision deal. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. We, we go through the same thing. One of our wideouts, who's an excellent athlete, excellent athlete, but you know, we, we, uh, 
bust his chops a little bit with the standard stereotypes of being a wide out and a prima donna and all that sort of stuff and doesn't want to block and mix it up. Well, he also plays in the basketball team. He's an excellent basketball player. Um, you know, could have been division one in either sport. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to have him come to our place. And it, when he plays basketball, he's, you know, the most physical presence on the court. And when we talk him on football, you know, we, we talk about how, you know, he, you know, he couldn't crush a grape out there on the football field. Yeah, yeah. And if he hears this, he'll get really upset at me for saying that. But he's, you know, typical wideout. He's really sensitive about that sort of stuff. But um, sure. I always think it's funny where that that kind of difference plays in. But mm-hmm. it was the same thing they talked about uh, when Baylor just won the national championship. That was a big thing going up and down Twitter about how, you know, one of the big differences between Baylor and everybody else was Baylor lists with Baylor's football team. Right. Versus everyone else. And you, you can kind of see that difference there. Mm-hmm. Man, they – like they just kind of bullied Gonzaga, I thought a little bit. Mm-hmm. Bullied a lot of teams. Yeah, I liked it. It was it was fun to watch. I mean, I didn't watch them, I, Coach. I don't have a TV. I have to like confess that. Uh, but uh, yeah, no TV. We, I, my oldest daughter struggled two summers ago with the TV. Like really complained that that she couldn't watch more TV. And my wife and mm-hmm. we were like, "We'll just take it away," and it's never come back. <laughs> we actually you're, sold you're... it. You are way braver than me. My stepson is glued to his iPad all the time. It, it, it it's it's wild. I I need it. I need. I'm really big into disconnecting. When I get away from football, I want to be away from football. Like we talk about soccer, I'll watch soccer. And I can yeah. I can gain an appreciation for it. You as a coverage guy, I mean, if you watch like how all that stuff sets up and can tear yourself away from sometimes how boring it could be. Um, you sure. can really gain an appreciation for how they're able to manipulate space and do all that sort of stuff. But coach, um, coverage, just play man. Just forget the rest of it. Just lock them down. Coach. We we do a whole lot of that. Hey, they do that in soccer too. Man marking. Talk about it. But, Very true. So we're, let's go into it. Talk about. You don't have to give away any secrets, obviously. But talk about like your mm-hmm. defense philosophy as a head coach. Like, what do you want your defense to do? What is well, what's the purpose? I am by nature. I'm an offensive guy. Um, you know, that's, that was my background. I came up and played offensive line, coached offensive line, running backs, tight ends, all that sort of stuff and with our quarterbacks now. Um, but it, my philosophy defensively is stop the run and be aggressive. Um, and that's – we generally uh, – our general philosophy is, as a football team is we, we are looking for people that are competitive, aggressive, and tough, and we want to scheme the same way. So, mm-hmm. you know, the – the past two guys that have worked with defensively, I kind of hand it off to them and say, you know, whether it's we're a, a four, two, five, four, three. Now mm-hmm. we were a three, three stack before, um, you know, in both those scenarios, we're generally a middle field closed team. You know, the first mm-hmm. coverage that we installed two years ago was cover three. Now it's cover one. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we're going to, we're going to outnumber you at the point of attack and, you know, try to play aggressive in coverage as much as we possibly can. And if you get behind us and hit a shot on us, so be it. But, you know, my philosophy kind of that I take, not just defensively or offensively, but special teams and everything else is, if we're going to go out there and we're going to play a football game and we want to leave it all out there. I don't want to be the guy that sits back and has, you know, our free safety not in the wide copy of the film because he's so deep and, um you know, let people think and dunk us all the way down the field. If we're going to go down, we're going to go down on our shields. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of our philosophy. And, you know, if we can get our guys to buy into it and run to the football and, and be aggressive, then I think it's a lot more fun for them to play too. You know, nobody, 
nobody wants to play football and just sit there and, you know, let people catch hitches in front of them all day. Yeah, and I feel like with the RPO game now, especially at the college level, people will do that if you give it to them. Do you think that's true? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we do on offense. Um, we're, we're very heavy in the RPO game, and you, and you can see that from a, a couple of standpoints. Um, whenever you're running that sort of offense is, one, teams that play man are able to put somebody else in the box, and you don't have to worry about guys being in conflict as far as defense with RPOs. It makes it a lot harder for us to be able to – manipulate people as much as we want to um but it i just think it's if you got the guys to do it it's a great way to great way to operate um but that's how we roll as much as possible yeah now i guess like verse like in the rpo world i would imagine Mm -hmm. so you're talking about like man being like the answer to RPO schematically, like on the whiteboard X's and O's. So what is the answer schematically from an offensive standpoint? Like, hey, they're playing me and man, what do I do to counteract that? We, in general, with what we do, why we run an RPO game on offense is we want to, if at all possible, utilize whether it's a read option in the passing game, a read option in the run game, or what have you. Mm-hmm. to create conflict with the defender to make him play slower, mm-hmm. right? If he's strictly in man, he, he's not really paying attention to that conflict as much right. if he's covered in the run fit from other standpoints, mm-hmm. right? If there's other people who can cover and all he's got to worry about is playing in man coverage. So that kind of takes that piece of it out. And, you know, when you, when you look to play against cover one teams where if we've got six guys in the box, they can roll in a seventh and outnumber us there, that doesn't that kind of dictates the terms to the offense as to what you're going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. If you're an RPO offense, you know right now you got to throw the ball every single time. And you know, we stay we want to stay pretty balanced as far as how we distribute the ball. Mm-hmm. And looking at run versus pass isn't that big of a deal to me. But if you come out of a game you're throwing the ball 60 times a game, that's that's not a great way to be able to mm-hmm. win, I think at least. Um mm-hmm. So that's that's where I think it creates a lot of the issue for us. What we try to do to counteract that as much as we can when we play teams that are very man-heavy is we'll start to get into more fast motions. Uh, mm-hmm. We do a lot with jet and orbit motion, bunch sets, that sort of stuff, just to create conflicts for them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we I'm, I'm very fortunate that one of my good friends in coaching is a really, really successful offensive coordinator at the Division II level. Actually played quarterback here. His name's Adam Neugebauer. He's the OC up at Slippery Rock University in PA. And it's had a ton of success up there. But when he played here, they were old school air raid. And same thing when he, you know, when he got into coaching at Tiffin University. So I got the clinic with him a little bit on how they run mesh and that sort of stuff. And I know, you know, if you talk to somebody like Dub Maddox, Dub's not a real big fan of mesh. Um, but that's another, you know, creating rubs and that sort of stuff for a good way to deal with teams who want to play man and everything like that. Um, the other, the other way that we have worked to to try to balance things out in the run game a little bit against teams that want to play man and overload the boxes to start to get into more first level RPOs, um, you know, and we will actually will read that guy that defensive end with the guy coming across in like a split zone type of type of motion or something like that, whether it's a wide receiver, tight end, what have you. And you see the guy leak into the flat and everything. Um, mm-hmm. 
those ways of kind of moving the puck a little bit have helped us when teams want to want to overload things against us. Um, they can be a little bit of a pain against them, I think. Um, That's good, man. Those are some of the options for us. Oh, no doubt. You know, Mesh, golly, I think back to, what was that, 2011. I've coached for a guy who, like, went and took me to the the Franklin System um, Mm -hmm. clinic, and he was OC. I did the defense there. But, man, like, Mesh has evolved. Like, it used to be, you know, if we're running Mesh, you know, to the right, it was like a corner by the Z, you know, and your your – that's your, you're like your Y is the over your H is like on the wheel and your X is like the mesh guy, the right and your backs mm-hmm. in the flat. Now it's like the backs, the first read is seems like to be the thing that's in vogue. Is that kind of like what you guys like I to think, do? Or like, you know what I mean? There's like a variation of those. We, we read all of our stuff as a full field progression. Um, a, a lot of how we structure our routes and read everything's borrowed from R4. Okay, uh, I got you. So we kind of manipulate things and set them up a little bit. But I think one of the things that you see, you, you talk about how much of a cat and mouse game football is with defense and offense and everything like that. And I think the a lot of what happens over the years is the guy that ends up being keyed on by defensive teams changes a little bit over the years based on, mm-hmm. you know, who they're having issues with catching the ball and everything like that. And, then the offense ends up adjusting as the defense adjusts and back and forth. And I, I think I think that's a lot of the reason why you see teams start to go to the other guy first a little bit is because the other side of the ball has been coached to when you start to see this, this is how you, you know, this is how you drop off. This is how you pass this guy off. We want to make them throw the ball to that guy because that's not the guy they want to throw the ball to and mm, everything like you. that. And that's good. That's, I remember listening to Daniel Horgerson's talk on like a clinic and he was talking about, you know, DCs are like, oh, just make them throw it to the back. I think that's why he started putting like the back on like the, the wheel or the rail, I guess some mm-hmm. people call it. That's been, they've had good success with that, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, anymore as athletes progress and they're, you know, you're used to at our level, you get more kids that have more experience catching the ball in the backfield and everything like that. that's a really good way to create matchups. Yeah. Um, and I mean, again, it, it goes into the same place with, with the other side of the ball defensively, we don't see a lot of those 250 pound plugging linebackers anymore because they all have to be able to get out of the space. Um, mm. And teams that have those guys get taken advantage of because you can formation against them and match up somebody, you know, mm-hmm. out there in space and get them in a lot of trouble. No doubt. Football is such a flat circle, man. It's like we, People mm-hmm. want like pro style for a while. Now it's back to option, but it's RPO. Yeah. It's, I just wonder when it'll like tick back to pro style one of these one of these years, you know. <laughs> and that's and to be honest with you, that's how I look at RPOs. Is I look at it as triple option. Mm-hmm. It's just sure. a, a different way to get to your pitch man and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But that, you really do look at it as a, another old school. And you you see defenses now getting to a little bit more of old school kind of uh, kind of coverages and structures. It's different because you see guys spread out a little bit more, but it's, you know, they're all cousins of the same thing. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on like play action? I, I was watching some cut-ups the other day and the, the guy was talking about how like play actions kind of come back to, because like in mm-hmm. RP, the RPO world, like people can match, if people get good at matching, like keeping this guy out of the fit, right? So he's playing pass mm-hmm. versus they play man. And then, like, play actions, like, 
hey, I'm just going to try to take my shot. Like, what's your what's your feeling on that? So I I think a lot of what happened when teams first started getting into the RPO world is, as coaches, we looked at that as being the answer for us having to be play callers. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? Where because if you call if you call this RPO, you can't be wrong. You can't guess wrong versus mm-hmm. you know back in the day if you called a run play and they outnumbered you and they caught you, well shucks, I shouldn't have called that. I should have called something else and got it out, got out of it, right. or have your right. quarterback check and everything like that. And RPO solved all those problems. Well, the, the issue I think with the RPO world is we talked about that with Maine a little bit ago is you play into the other team's hand a little bit. And I think as one, I think as offensive coaches have felt like they're losing a little bit of control over what they're able to call. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if I end up just keep handing the ball off, handing the ball off, handing the ball off, and I can't throw these shots that I want to, Mm -hmm. then getting back in the play action will help. The other place where I think play actions come back into vogue is the, the in vogue offense at the NFL level right now is the Shanahan offense and all the variations of it. that's being run all over the place and play action is a huge piece of the puzzle in those offenses. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's again, a little bit more copycat when it comes to that sort of thing. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. this fall and spring at the college level, you saw a lot more teams starting to put in tight end league stuff because Mm -hmm. they saw everybody that came out of the Shanahan tree doing that, you know, the past Mm -hmm. couple of years, the NFL and it's, it's just a continuation. Mm-hmm. Talk about, so we're going to talk about Shanahan. What's your thoughts on wide zone? Cause that's like, that's my baby. It's your baby. If, okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, uh, you know, we, we got away from it a couple of years ago here. Um, and when, when I first started coaching in college ball, cause when I played here, we were not a zone team. We were old school ISO, you know, going to get after it that way. And, you know, we transitioned offensive line coaches one off season and the coach that came in, you know, we tried to run inside zone for, uh, for about one day in spring practice and it didn't mesh with what coach Strube wanted to do. So we didn't do it. But when I got to Marietta, I was GA and I was, was nowhere near being ready to be an offensive line coach, but, I was doing it fresh out of play and, and had never coached zone before in the world. And the, the guys are working with me at Marietta. We got the Alex Gibbs tapes and it was, all right, let's figure this out and, and how to do it. And from there, just kind of fell in love with, you know, what you're able to do with the play. Um, when I got back into the conference, we started working back into it again um, at our place. And we were trying to, we were trying to marry a couple things at West Virginia wasn't, but a big piece of it was the wide zone. And we, just off a of tape, had a really good teacher in our league in Garen Justice, who was the head oh, coach yeah. of Concord at that time. He's the he's the O-line coach of Miami, but I've still got old cut-ups of, of their offensive line at Concord running it. And it's it, if the biggest thing with that scheme is you don't need to be bigger and stronger than everybody else. You just have to have a group of offensive linemen and a running back that will all buy into being on the same page and doing the things that you have to do to be successful the running back pressing the point and making one cut, the offensive line really selling out on the backside to get cutoffs and everything like that and understand that they can be aggressive on the front side. It doesn't really matter if they truly get the guy reaching the front side or not. They just have to keep rolling to be able to create movement that gets divided off by that backside cutoff. And it's it just ends up being so, so forgiving. Um, mm-hmm. 
that it works. We had to get away from it a couple of years ago because, um, you know, one of my big philosophies is even though we can recruit at our level, I, I can't get everybody I want all the time. You know right, I mean? I, sure. There ain't a lot of programs out there that can do it. So you get the best athletes you can and you adjust your scheme around what you got. Right. Mm. Well, we had a couple of tackles that I just could not for the life of me get to buy into being that aggressive at the point of attack on outside zone. And it just mm. get folded up like an accordion and you couldn't do it. So we got away from it and got a chance to get back into it a little bit this year. We were young up front. So it's going to take us a little while to get them used to, what you really need to do to be good at it. But if I could run that play 50 times a game, I would. Oh, no doubt. And then like the, you know, the, the, the naked is, but then also the stay in the pocket mm-hmm. play action. I mean, that stuff is dirty. Goodness gracious. Well, what, what we, what we do so much more at our level because we do so much RPO game, which it's the one thing you can't do with stretch out of the pistol is, right. uh, is RPO. I haven't figured out how to make that one work. But we do a lot more of that out of the gun, which allows us also to kind of, you know, we've got a lot of guys in our league and some guys that I've worked with that have connections back to Rich Rod stays WPU and all that sort of stuff. They got really good at running it out of the gun. Um, And it's got some of its own unique advantages, both with outside zone and inside zone because of the stretch it's created with that coming across the quarterback um, Mm -hmm. because that action and flow that it creates for the defense. But, um, yeah, I, I think the ability to do that out of the, you know, out of what they do in the Shanahan offense and how it all marries together is really uniquely great um, mm-hmm. in, in what they're able to accomplish. And there's so many, so many little wrinkles off of all of it that are, are really, really effective. Oh, no doubt. So you said you like being aggressive, even in special teams. So like, are you you the onside kick guy, like the guy down in Arkansas? Like you go to onside kick when you get a shot or what? What's the we, deal there, coach? We 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 carry them in, man. We onsides, popovers, all that sort of stuff as much as we possibly can with the with the teams we're playing in our league. You got a lot of you have a lot a lot of of teams that have really special guys in the return game. We talked about one of them um, mm-hmm. before we got on. Um, so you have to have answers to then it's the same thing, you know, our, our punt block game is super duper aggressive. We don't have a punt return team. You know, mm-hmm. we, we want to try to get after people and see if we can make that game changing play. Cause I think, you know, I read somewhere that um, the two plays that are, are most likely to statistically change the tide of the football game are a blocked punt. And then the other one that, that I hate and I wish they changed the rule on. So when an offense fumbles the ball out, out of the end zone, right. Sure. If we can create that that game changing play by being able to block a kick, or by being able to steal a possession, um, same thing. You know, when we when we kick extra points, we do the model huddle and all that sort of stuff. That I think one creates a little bit more fun for team. Nobody likes to be on the field goal protection unit. They don't because right. you got guys blowing your doors off full speed all the time. That adds a little bit into that. You know, especially when we got a we have a nose that's four hundred pounds on our team. But he oh. wears, yeah, yeah, but he, you know, it's really tough for people to move him back. And I can, makes it a lot easier for me to get him to buy into being on the field goal protection team when he lines up in an eligible spot mm-hmm. and he can be out there, you know, running a slant on our, there you go. On our, yeah, he's only got to get three yards. So he can get three steps in. And I'd love to see a DB be able to go through the back of him and break up, oh, you know, absolutely. break up that pass. But he's got good hands. He's graceful. He's nimble. 
But, that's uh, awesome. That's that's a weapon on the model hole, Coach. Goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's he doesn't go backwards very much. Oh no! And doubt. most guys don't want. Most guys wouldn't want to take him on low either because they don't want him to fall on him. Yeah, no thanks. Um, that's a separated shoulder waiting to happen. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Oh my goodness. Well, coach, as we land the land the plane, I would love for you to give listeners some wisdom about becoming a college coach and then and then about becoming like a, a head college coach. I'm sure there's people out there that would like to do that in their career if they could sometime as well. Yeah, I mean the the biggest thing with trying to get into the college game, uh, I was lucky because I had, you know, coaches that had relationships and I got a I was fortunate to get the opportunity I did getting into it. Um, the, the biggest thing with trying to get into it from that level is you don't want to be the guy that spends all of his time just worrying about networking and everything else, but make sure that you are paying attention to the relationships that you build sure. because you never know who the person is. that's going to be able to make the call for you to get that door open for you to get the chance to do that. And I think that's just a you know general thing on being a good person, right? Treat right. people really well and, and that'll work out well for you. And as far as the head coaching opportunity, the, the biggest thing that I can tell people is, and I think you'd appreciate this too from coming from a head coach perspective, keep your nose to the grindstone and keep working at getting better at what you're doing, paying attention to what's going on around you, learn the lessons that are happening, you know, on the staffs that you're on. But the, the number one thing that you've got to work on doing is, is being becoming better as a coach. Don't go out there searching for the head coaching opportunity because the entire time that you are just sitting there looking for the next job, whether it's a head coach or, or an assistant or something like that, somebody else is working at getting better. Hmm. And when it comes down to it and you get that opportunity and they do too, the person that's been working at getting better is going to be in a better situation to, to do the actual job better. Hmm. Maybe the other thing I'd say too is, make sure you're working at bettering yourself the entire time because if you do get that opportunity you certainly don't want to waste it coach says gold i appreciate you coming on and i know you're a busy man thank you for taking the time to talk to us i really appreciate it sure thing i appreciate it, man anytime <laughs>